running for the touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. Always exciting to play at home. We all want to play at home, and this is an unbelievable venue to play at. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. On a personal level for me, I, I just we, we can't wait to get to the game day, right? We can't wait to get on the grass. JT The Brick. Cars up underneath James. Going to fire quickly. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT on a big day today. What a show we got lined up on Tuesday as we had the aftermath show yesterday after the loss in Kansas City. And now we get a good chance to still talk about that game and that loss, but move on to the Cleveland Browns and get ready for that game coming up here. Week 15 of the NFL season, and it hasn't gone fast. Believe me, it hasn't gone fast. But today we got a show which was my vision when we built we the Raiders, Lotus Broadcasting, the people behind the scenes, if they ask my opinion, what I wanted to do exactly today is what I wanted to do. We got Tom Flores on, the Hall of Famer at the bottom of the hour. The legendary head coach of the Raiders, Tom Flores. He will join us at the bottom of the hour. We have Paul Gutierrez, Raiders inside of free SBN. We have the best insider period in Cleveland, Mary Kay Cabot, who's going to join us at 145. And then Jeff Sherman, who's director, vice president of risk management over at the Westgate. He sets the lines. So when people ask me, JT, how much gambling talk do you do? I go, I do the best because I have the best people on. I don't tell you about a couple of picks. You don't care about my picks. You don't care. Even though I got my upset special right last night with the Rams over Arizona. People don't care about other people's picks who don't make money. Cares. They want to hear from the people who set the lines, who are on the inside, the gamblers who de- make money, and the sharp bettors. Don't you want to hear more people on the radio who win money than people who are on Twitter that say they win and you don't know if they bet 5 bucks or 50 bucks? So Jeff Sherman comes on. He tells us how these lines are moving, and that'll be here, I think, around 1245. All right, so I am ready. I am optimistic. I'm ready to roll because there's so much negativity from you out there. I won't allow it in my life. Did you hear what I just said? It's negative, man. It is rough out there. You ever been on a boat during this beautiful out on the boat? One time I was in Hawaii with my family, and we went out on a scuba trip with the kids, and it was just absolutely gorgeous, putting on sunscreen on the kids. And about a half hour in, all of a sudden a storm came. It felt like waves. I thought the boat was going to tip over. Man, it was wild out there, negative. Everyone, literally, people were fearing for their life. That's what it's like hosting Raider Radio. The panic is at an all-time high. Fans are freaking out. I call it Raider on Raider crime. When Raider fans attack other Raider fans and other Raider fans attack other Raider fans, man, it blows my mind. But I have a Ph.D. in it. I graduated from the Raiders Harvard on how to handle this. So we're going to have good shows the rest of the week. we got great guests. I got the voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan, coming on tomorrow. I mean, we got everything lined up here. So we're good. And I woke up today, and I felt it, and I tweeted it about 4 in the morning. Why am I up at 4 in the morning? I have no idea. But I tweeted it out because it made a lot of sense to me. Because a lot of times when I tweet, I don't make a lot of sense. And I don't apologize for it. And, again, if I could delete every tweet I ever did, I'd probably delete a few. But here's my opinion as I kick off the show on what's at stake for the Raiders. If the Raiders beat the Browns on Saturday, they jump Cleveland in the standings at 7-7. Seven and seven. 
that would make for some kinder NFL coverage. Now let that sit in for a second. For those who think I'm too positive, I work for the team. Yes, I do. I'm not going to quit so I can say bad things and you'd, you'll invite me over to dinner. You're not going to invite me over for dinner. You're not going to buy me a beer if I say something ridiculous and get fired. So I don't care about you. I care about the people I work with. And I care about all the listeners who support my show, not the trolls. So my issue becomes this. The Raiders are getting pummeled by the media at a level that I don't recall. There's been a few of them, but the Raiders are getting hammered right now. They are once again low-hanging fruit. Everybody's just coming in and just gut-punching them. And they're laughing and they're giggling and the radio hosts, the same old Raiders, they're using words that I've never used, like dysfunction and all this, and they are just piling on. And even some Raider fans are doing it. And then on the other side, if you're following the Cleveland side of the story, the Cleveland fans are getting love, and Cleveland's getting love because they beat Baltimore. And they beat Baltimore mostly with a backup quarterback playing for Baltimore in that game. They knocked Lamar Jackson out of the game, and then they won, and they barely hung on to win the game. So follow me here. Cleveland's getting all this great attention, okay? And the Raiders are getting hammered. So a five-year-old could figure out what I'm about to say. If the Raiders beat Cleveland on Saturday, that means the Raiders are better than Cleveland. They beat them two years in a row in Cleveland. You can't debate it. They have the same record, but they're seated ahead of them in the playoff hunt. That would be really cool. That would, to me, really signify the media and the media hatred to the Raiders. Because I don't mind the media giving Cleveland a lot of love this week. They should. They beat a good Baltimore team, also a team that the Raiders beat this year. But they're giving them so much more credit, rightfully so, because the Raiders got embarrassed in Kansas City, that if the Raiders win on Saturday, no one could argue this point that I'm about to lead with the monologue. The Raiders are better than Cleveland, and the Raiders should get better coverage than the Cleveland Browns. Is that correct? Because it makes damn good sense to me. Now, there's a pretty good chance for some that the Raiders won't win the game. And if the Raiders don't win the game and they drop the 6-8, and eight, Cleveland is gone off to the races better than the Raiders, along with a lot of other teams in the AFC, especially in the AFC West. So this is officially the last stand. It is officially the last stand at the Alamo. It's the last stand with Custard. It is the last stand if you love war movies like I do. As I'm standing up in the studio, this becomes the last stand where everybody's got to come out and now get behind the team and go, look, you've blown every opportunity to make this easy. You've blown every opportunity to get the faith of the fan base. You've blown every opportunity to get any respect from the media. This is it. This is the last stand, and you got to show up. And that's really the theme of the show the next couple of days. Why is everybody so damn scared about this football team showing up? Why was this team that started out 3-0 and and was 5-2 and and 6-3, and why is there so much damn concern that they'll even show up? Because if that is true, then the conversations about the house cleaning, the conversations about all the changes coming, that is fair and that is accurate going forward. But I'm, I'm really excited as a sports talk radio host to talk about, I talk a lot about legacy And I talk a lot about passion, passion and legacy. What's the legacy 
of your favorite player, your favorite team? What's their legacy all time? What's their legacy now? And then I like to talk about rah-rah and getting people up for games. That's what I do. And there should be so much motivation for this freaking football game. I can't cover all the motivation by the end of Sunday or Saturday when I do the post-game show. Everything is so clear to me right now. It came to me like a vision from a football god last night. Everything is clear to me, crystal clear. There's no more talk. It's all on the line now. It's draw the line in the sand, get out and brawl. And you got to fight. And you've been humiliated in the bar. And someone just took your girlfriend and your wife and they're sitting at the front of the bar or they're outside the bar. And you've been humiliated and you got to go out there and deal with it and you got to take care of business. There's no more, what should we do? What do we have to do? Oh, do we have to start fast? Should we put in Mariota after the first series? No, 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 no. Now it's a barroom brawl. Now it's a freaking fight. And if you don't want to fight, go out the back door and hide, get in an Uber, run for your life, and act like you were never a Raider before. If you want to fight... Get to the front of the bar with Mad Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, Hunter Renfro, and go support your brothers and go out there and get in the fight. Even if you're going to get your ass kicked, you better show up for the fight. You better not be whimpering and hiding behind ten guys saying, hold me back. There's no more hold me back. This is the moment in 2021 where the Raiders have to become completely accountable for this entire season, and they have to play a game, and they have to play with pride and poise, and they have to play for the shield. Now, we know they do that every game. That's the game plan. That's the way the coach and the players play. But now everybody is calling them in doubt. Everybody is questioning their effort. Everybody is questioning their heart, and the media is piling on. So to me, it becomes very simple. As I said, clarity and crystal clear. Now it's very simple that this team has got to grow a pair and come out and fight. And if they do that, you better believe they're a good enough team to win at Cleveland. They are right there with Cleveland. They beat them last year in the snow. They match up well against Cleveland. And the breaking news today is eight Cleveland players have now entered COVID protocol. Eight of them. So they have a COVID outbreak hitting their organization, which means they're practicing virtually with their meetings, and it's going to affect their preparation for the game. Okay, so that is an advantage that I'm not looking for. I'm not happy about that. I'd like to see both teams at full strength. But that just fell into the Raiders' hands. That breaking news today, and I don't know if it's going to get worse or get better. I hope all these guys recover quickly. Uh, They're all vaccinated, and they're able to play on Saturday. But did you see what happened last night with the Rams? The Rams were in a do-or-die game. Jalen Ramsey couldn't play. They had a COVID outbreak, and it really looked shady and shaky going into Arizona. They had the ultimate excuse to get beat. We don't have some of our players. We got a COVID outbreak. We have an excuse to lose, and they came out and kicked ass. They looked fantastic. And as I watched the game last night, I said, wow. That's the way football should be played. It was faster. It was more physical. It looked so much better than what I've been watching over the last month, other than the Cowboy game for the silver and black. It just looked sharper, 
faster, more physical. It looks so much better than what we've seen here in the last couple of weeks. I think you would agree with me. How come they're able to throw slant routes at the line of scrimmage and the ball comes out? How come when Kyler Murray gets in trouble, he's able to get out of trouble and throw the ball 30 yards downfield to a receiver? How come those teams are able to do everything that the Raiders can't do and the Raiders were able to do it from week one, two, three, all the way through the first seven or eight weeks of the season? Okay, enough of the rugs and enough of the Gruden emails, which there's an update on today which is actually news on that, okay? The issue now becomes the Raiders no longer have an excuse to lose a football game because they're not prepared, they don't start fast, uh, they, they get blown out, there's questions about the coaching, it's all out the door. This team's got to come out and play the most desperate game they played this year. They got to let it all out on the field. There's no more tomorrow. They can't hold back plays they got to go for it on fourth down. If the quarterback, the starting quarterback, doesn't start fast, Marcus Mariota needs to get in the game on third down, at least on third down. I'm not saying you bench Derek Carr. I think Carr gives the Raiders the best chance to win. But we have to see more Mariota. Why in God's name are we saving Marcus Mariota for? It might be the worst, the most overpaid contract in NFL history, not at the level of Jamarcus Russell, but what's he doing here if they're not going to use him in a panic time? This is panic time. This is all in. Every play is used, whatever it takes to win the game. So that's where I'm going here. Beat Cleveland. I'm not saying the Raiders are going to the playoffs if they beat Cleveland. Not at all. What I'm saying is it could do something really cool for motivation. You could tell the team at practice every day this week, if you beat their ass, you're better than them. And then the media can't cover and ball watch them the way they're doing. They're going to have to give you more credit because you just beat Cleveland two years in a row and they were ranked higher than you and now you're ranked higher than them. What more motivation do you need than that? You tell me at 702, you, at 365-9200, you know the number, 702-365-9200, you tell me what more motivation they need than what I just told you over the last 14 minutes. I think the big hook to the story is you're playing a team you can beat. You beat them last year. They're not a great team. They got some great players, but we have some great players here. We're kind of evenly matched. They're playing better than us, but we have to win the game. This is the last stand that we make. Let's go play them and let's go beat them. It should be easy to motivate this team. I think they were motivated last week. They made a mistake in Kansas City when Yannick took the team to the logo and they had that meeting there. That was a mistake. Now maybe their motivation will change and it will be harnessed inside that locker room like the great Tim Brown put out in his tweet, which everybody is talking about. You see, this organization has had great players, some of the greatest players of all time, and they knew how to step up in a big game. They knew when they had to turn it on. They knew when they had to go out and make a play and do something special. And I think they're capable of doing that right now. They're not a very good team, but I think they're capable of playing a good game. So let's get to the phone calls. Let's hear what you have to say. But first, a little bit of sound from Rich Passaccia. I want to get to from yesterday. 
on the team's feelings after that loss, one of the worst losses in Raider history? Yeah, I want them to feel how they feel. You know, I'm not, I'm not in charge of someone else's feelings. I think we're all angry. We're all disappointed. I'm, I'm not big on frustration. I think it's a wasted emotion. And um, I'm just trying to look at, from my perspective as coaches, what we can do better, how we can help them put them in better situations or better positions uh, to help them play a little bit better. I'm sure they're looking at it the exact same way. So, yeah, I think all the emotions are just um, feelings that we have of, of uh, what we didn't do very well and, and how we'd like to fix them. So I, I can't tell somebody how to act or how to feel. Uh, I know I don't feel really good about it either. See, I disagree with that, and I like Coach Passaccia. I interview him every Thursday, and we ask him everything. I mean, we're not going to sit there on the home television show of the coach and get in a shouting match. But I disagree with him on that. I think that his job has got to be to get in the face of these players and get them to play better and to motivate them more so because they weren't motivated to play in Kansas City at the level that is Raider football. And he's going to have to do that, and maybe more of the players are going to have to step up there, and they're going to have to hear that from the coach. Because the effort in Kansas City was not Raider effort. It was an elite Raider effort. The coach talked about it. Yeah, I think perception and reality, right, can be two different things, or they can be the same. I certainly um, don't think any of us were excited about the long run that we gave up towards the end of the game. I, I didn't think giving up the run before the end of the half with the missed tackles was good as well. And then I think any time you go into a game and you turn the ball over five times and you fumble the ball like that by our good players, it's very uncharacteristic of Hunter to put the ball on the ground and Foster to put the ball on the ground and, and uh, certainly Josh as well. So I think when you do that, you, you, you kind of dull your senses a little bit as to what's going on. And, and um, so I, I don't really think we played with the same effort we've played with to the bitter end, which I've, I've said before, and, and that'll certainly be addressed. It was addressed with them. And, and uh, you know, we, we played a good team as well. And I think they're well coached and a little credit goes to them. But um, we're going to do the best we can to get ourselves ready to go to play Cleveland on a short week. I'm happy Coach Passaccia said that they did not play hard with enough effort. Not all the players on defense in the second half of that game, and that's on Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley's defense is awful, awful in the red zone. The stats prove it. So something's happening. The players and the coaches aren't on the same page. That Josh Gordon touchdown on that quick throw to the line of scrimmage was one of the worst defended plays I've ever seen. So the defense is not matching up with the coaches. I've said all year that Gus will have the players lined up correctly. Uh, but the one thing that I didn't think we'd be talking about with Gus's defense is that the players wouldn't play hard in a blowout. And that was evident in the Kansas City game especially on that long run in the second half. The Raiders checked out on defense at that time. They did not play at the level of Raider football and the players that have played at Arrowhead since the 1960s, and they should be called out, and I think the fans have been calling them out. The offensive line now is in deep trouble because they have no confidence. I know that Tom Cable's a good coach. He can only work with what he has. And this offensive line played well at times. Again, they played pretty good in Dallas. I think we all agree. The offensive line in Dallas was encouraging. But since then, they've taken a massive step back, and this is now the biggest issue for the head coach to deal with. You know, I just think those particular games that we've played well, we've played well up front, and we've run the ball well and had some big plays and play action. And some of the games when we haven't, we haven't played well up front, and we've given up some um, protection loopholes and given up sacks like in the game the other day. And also, we're, we're playing from behind in that game. So it gives their defense a chance to, to line up and tee off um, a little bit as well. So 
Um, you know, we, we've had some adjustments and some positional changes up front as we've gone through the season. And, uh, you know, we've lost some guards at this particular point as we've gone through the season. So we're looking at that as well. And, and um, I think we like to anticipate if we can slow that up a little bit and play a little bit better. They have to play not, not a little bit better. They have to play a lot better. They have to play at a level that's competitive. They're non-competitive now. On the right side of that offensive line, it's the worst in all of football. So I don't know how you patch it up and get them to play better, but you got to do this. So Coach Passaccia talked about now the preparation for Cleveland. That is critical this week. It's the last stand, as I said, as I opened up the show. They have to be at their best going in to take on the Browns and maybe help knock the Browns out of postseason contention. We've had five turnovers. You know what I mean? We're trying to get ready to go play Cleveland. I don't know how much more I can banter around the turnovers in the game or the sacks in the game or what went on. You know, if you'd like to ask a question about Cleveland, I'm, I'm all ears. So that, that game's over, and we didn't play well enough to have a chance to win. Now we're on to the next week. Tim Brown, the Hall of Famer, tweeted out yesterday, Raiders, the end of the 1999 season was a game changer for our team. It's the last game of the year. We have nothing to play for, but KC is playing for the divisional title. We got down early in the game. By the half, we were down 17, but something happened in the locker room that changed us. Guys started talking about being sick and tired of losing to Kansas City and losing, period. There was a challenge issued. If you don't care, don't come out of the locker room. We came out of the locker room, overcame the deficit, and beat Kansas City, which had only been done once in my previous 11 years. That capitulated us to the next three years to a Super Bowl, two, two FC, that catapulted us, excuse me, the next three years to, to a Super Bowl, two AFC championship games, and the tuck rule game, ugh. Someone in the locker room has to grab this team by the throat and refuse to allow them to fail. The question is, who? That's from the Hall of Famer. Who will stand up? Well, it should be easy. I laid it out, I think, perfectly on what's at stake here. And the motivation should be easy because Cleveland is getting all the proper media attention they should and the Raiders are being mocked and laughed at. If that doesn't get everybody in the locker room standing up and pounding each other's shoulder pads to say that they can quickly flip the script with one win. Now, if they were playing at the Rams, if they were playing at Tampa Bay, if they were playing at Green Bay, no chance. No chance the way they're playing now. No chance. They're playing the Cleveland Browns. They got a chance to win this game. Now, you, the level of your interest, I don't know unless you let me know. But there are a lot of Raider fans who are checked out right now, and that's unfortunate. And I understand why. I understand why. And you don't want to drink the Kool-Aid, and you don't want to get into this. So you can get off the show for a couple of days while I go balls out and do my job. And if they win, you can come back. And if they lose, you can come back too. But this week's about trying to get this team to play one game not four games, one game where everything comes together and they play a little bit more aggressive and they finally get back to playing a decent football game. Not a good game, just a decent game that could keep them in the hunt late in the game. NorCal Raiders start us off on the flagship. What's happening? Hey, Q. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, JT, how you doing? Uh, good. You know, I agree with you. Um, just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just the players. Um, I, I like the coach. You know, I, I like Versace. He seems very authentic. He seems like a type of guy that, like, whatever he says, he means it, you know. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's just the players. A lot of them are young, and there's not a lot of, like, veterans, like, back in the day. Also, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the season. Um, you know, so back in 99 when the Raiders were, um, 
for, for that, in that 99 game against the Chiefs. Mm. You know, they had Gruden coming back the next year, so they, they knew that things were going to change. But I think the players, you know, it's like working at a job. You know, you get rid of the manager, you bring in somebody else. A lot of times people respond different. So, uh, I, I like I believe I like the, the our coach though. I think he has good character. He seems so authentic. I just I just like the way he talks. He doesn't seem like he's fake or anything. And, you know, but I believe in this foundation. I, I you know I think it's been just a rough patch, you know, temporary thing. You know, we have a GM. You know, we've never really had a GM. People don't forget that we didn't have a GM for a very long time. It was always Al Davis calling the shots. We have a GM that that knows what he's doing. You have to give him some time and see how it weighs out. You know, that's just my that's my thought. Yeah, I, again, when you look at the GM, you look at the head coach, everything. Everybody's. Everybody's talking about the future of everybody on this team. I don't care about that right now. I have no interest in it. I made that clear on Monday. My interest is beating the Browns. How do you beat the Browns to get to 7-7? Seven and 7-7 seven? Seven and seven looks pretty damn good after being down 35 nothing to Kansas City and kicking a field goal. Think we'd all agree with that? So how do you beat Cleveland? And if, if they get blown out by Cleveland, this thing is done done. We know that when it comes to a playoff hope and the ability to talk about a miracle run and all that. So this is the last chance for something to happen that could be special and maybe maybe save the season. Because anybody thought that the game in Kansas City was going to save the season was nuts. You're nuts if you thought that. But this game and the Washington football team game and the Giant game and the Bears game, they all fall in that same category. That this team has got to be accountable and they got to be called on. And if you want to call them out, you can. But they've got to be called on to do their freaking job and win a football game. We're not climbing Mount Everest here. We're not solving cancer. We're talking about winning a football game. These guys have been playing football their whole life. They're great football players. They're the 1% of football players in the world. They can't jump off sides. they got to catch the ball when it's thrown to them. The quarterback's got to extend the play. And they got to come back and make some plays on defense and catch the ball when it's thrown to them. They got to do what they've done at times this year that they forgot how to do now, and it looks like they don't know how to get back to basics. Get back to basics, have a really good football game, get the fans energized again, do your job, and go win the game. We're not asking for a Herculean effort like Tom Flores, who's joining us next, and took a wild card team to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about doing something like Tom Flores, my last guest, who took a wild card team while he was commuting from Oakland, leaving his family, going back and forth from L.A., and took a team, Red Right 88, and took a team to Cleveland, won the game, won the Super Bowl. That's magic. That's a Herculean effect. I'm just talking about winning a freaking game in Cleveland and showing some pride and poise. 702-365-9200, the monologue, brought to you by Remy Martin. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Man, I've been at all these great restaurants. Bar Zazu, the 8 Cigar Bar in Resorts World, Dog House, Lavo at Venetian. And when you see me there, I have a Remy cocktail in my hand. Tom Flores, the legend, joins us next. Yeah, I'm, you know, I didn't know about it um, in the beginning. And when I left the field, everyone was, was in the end zone. And uh, it's certainly something I've discussed with some of the players. And 
we'll talk about it in our team meeting tomorrow. Um, I can understand, you know, the other team having a point of view about it. And, and um, so, I, again, I, I didn't really think it was, uh, now that I found out about it, I would rather it not happen. I'd rather not walk from one end of the field to the other uh, to make some sort of point. We punted in, thought we should have huddled there like normal and, and come off the field. But um, I'll do a little bit better job of staying out there a little bit longer and making sure we do what we're supposed to do at the end and leave the field. That's a head coach being accountable about what happened pregame for the Raiders before they got blown out in Kansas City. Uh, coach Tom Flores, the Hall of Famer, joins us every two weeks on Tuesday. It's a very important part, cornerstone of our show, to get his expertise or opinions on what's going on. And, Coach, we need to hear you more than ever after what happened in Kansas City. You coached many games there with many great teams. I'm sure you were really disappointed by that effort and result. Well, that's, yeah, that's, you don't have to do that. I, I don't know what brought that on. I don't know what caused it. Obviously, there was a little friction someplace along the way. Uh, the best way to solve that is to win or play better. I mean, they stunk. They played a terrible game. Yeah, they didn't have much. The first play of the game, the fumble by Josh, unfortunately, really took him out of the game early. A coach, when you're in one of those games, and you've been in a few of them because you won so many games, when you're in those games that early it's an early turnover on a kickoff or a punt's muffed. You're down 7 nothing. Then you throw a pick six. It's 14 nothing. The game's out of control early. Can you take me back in the day and what you did on the sidelines or in the locker room at halftime to calm everyone down and get them to turn the momentum around? Well, you try to, you try to smooth it down a little bit, but you can't make a big, too big a deal out of it. Otherwise, it becomes bigger than life. But you do have to address it. You have to address it. You have. You can't deny it. You can't say, hey, it didn't happen. It happened. It happened. We stunk up the first part of the game. we got to make up for it. But we can't make up for it just by saying so. You have to do so. And you can't do it in one play. you got to do it in, in, in the rest of this ball game. And it can be done. I mean, we were down 28 points once and Came back and won a game against a, a rival, with, you know, against San Diego, and, uh-huh. uh, and that was at halftime. We scored right before the half, scored with a little momentum. You got to get something to get going, a little momentum going here and there, and then go from there. Tom Flores joins us, the Hall of Famer. So as we move on to Cleveland, Coach, where you had one of the greatest wins of your career, Red Ride '88, on the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, this is a different situation for the Raiders, but as I said, if they win, they tie Cleveland in the playoff hunt there, and they have the percentage and tiebreaker over Cleveland. Coach, I'm looking for any motivation right now to use here on the radio, and I'm reaching, and I'm looking at this because they played so poorly, but they got it right in front of them. They got a team with roughly the same record in the same boat as them fighting for their lives. Shouldn't that be enough motivation to get on the plane and go win that game? Yeah, it would be. You would think so. You uh, against an experienced team, it would be. Against a young team, I'm not sure. Against a team that's kind of a little lost right now along their way, I I don't know. You know, it's a. I tell you, it's hard to figure these teams out. Look, there are so many teams still in the hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to figure it out, and uh, you know, the, the Raiders aren't the only ones. 
Tom Flores is our guest. So, Coach, the other thing here is the quarterback. As you watch the game and you notice that the pocket's breaking down so quickly for Derek, and he just doesn't have either the confidence or the ability because of the offensive line struggles to let plays develop downfield. So it seems like the defensive coordinators see this, understand it. They're sending more pressure. Derek's checking down more than he did early in the season, and it just happens again and again and again every series. What would you do to move the pocket or get him more comfortable or bring in Mariota for a play or two or a series? How do you get this offense going again, Coach? Well, you just mentioned a little bit of it. Move the pocket a little bit. Move the pocket uh, you know, from, away from the line of scrimmage to the side and, and give yourself a little space uh, so that you can, you can run a decent route. Right now, they're running the routes that are being run. It's ridiculous. I mean, the ball's coming out after about .0 seconds. Uh, uh, you know, a, you run a two-yard route, a one-yard route, a zero route, a, a minus route. You're not going to do anything. You're going to come up third down a lot. Uh, yeah. So you've got you've to do something to create some space and give yourself a little time. And one of the ways, one of the ways to do that is to move the pocket. You've got a mobile quarterback, so it's not impossible. Tom Flores joins us as we wrap it up. So, Coach, if you're moving the pocket, say Miles Garrett, the great pass rusher, is coming off the right side, and Derek is kind of moving the pocket to his right to kind of get away from Miles Garrett. If you leave in a tight end, if you leave in a back to chip him, that's one or two less guys running routes, and I really think that's been the big problem. There's not enough good players or experienced players running routes to help Derek out with this offensive line. So with Deshaun Jackson, Hunter Renfro, who's played at a high level, Darren Waller hopefully coming back, I just hope that those 5, 10-yard routes can open up to 15, 20, 25-yard routes because we've seen Derek make all those throws before. Yeah, but JT, I don't even know that we're running ten yard routes. It looks like we're running two yard routes. So we've got to we've got to push the where that ball's coming out way too soon. I don't know if that's just Derek, the game plan. I don't know what it is. You know, it's hard for me from this distance and not being in the meeting rooms or the practices to know what you know what the plan is. Uh, but you got to you, you got to stick with the plan. You got to stay with the plan. You can't just you can't be grabbing. Uh, you still have to have a plan. You still have to to, uh, to try to to to, uh, uh, to you know to run the plan the way it was designed, mm-hmm. and you still have to be able to go downtown with the ball when when necessary. Even even though your protection is not that good, make it better. Block everybody. Send one guy out and try to get the guy to. Um, there's ways to do it. There's ways to yeah. Uh, you did it. You did it as good as anyone. Always appreciate your time, Coach. Raiders need a win in Cleveland. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. And uh, to you and your entire family, especially your wife, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thanks for everything you do for us. The Raider fans really appreciate hearing from you. Anytime, JT. Thanks, Christmas. Coach. Merry Christmas. Tom Flores. That's the coach. And I think the coach is clearly someone who knows what it's like to open up a field and throw deeper balls. He said, block better, just do it. And he sees these routes being two-yard routes. He pushed back on me. They're not even 10-yard routes. 
their two-yard routes. Get mad at me. Don't get mad at Coach Flores. He's a Hall of Famer. He knows more than all of us combined. The routes are too short. The ball's coming out too quickly. The passes are too short. The defensive coordinators know it. The defensive players know it. It's obvious for everyone to see. So change it. Change it, and if it doesn't work, I think you can live with it. At least you tried to change it up a bit. And that's what I talked about with what has to happen here. That's what needs to happen now. They have to let it fly. But we've been saying that for weeks, if not months. How long have I been saying play up tempo, play fast? Did you see Kyler Murray last night? Raider Nation. Forget about Matthew Stafford. He won the game. We've seen enough of him. When you saw Kyler Murray last night play quarterback, and, and Derek's a very good quarterback, and so is Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray is what the league is right now. He would sit there, he would sit there in that pocket and wait for that pocket to break down. And when that pocket broke down, I mean, he's much faster. I think he's faster than Mahomes, probably the same as Lamar Jackson. He'd just run away from guys, and he'd run backwards. And he'd run like 10 yards backwards and then throw a pass 30 yards and complete it. That is the league right now. And if you don't have that type of player, which Derek is not with his legs, then the routes have got to be faster, the ball's got to come out, and guys got to catch the ball in stride like Cooper Cup. We don't have anybody like Cooper Cup? Obviously not if you look at his stats. But we were supposed to have guys like Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup's dominating this league. The ball's hitting him in stride. It was a lot. The hard thing was, is it's one thing if you get this information early on in the week, but you go through your whole process and preparation, and really it's completed on Saturday when you're playing on Monday night. Sunday represents an opportunity to really just finish up any sort of last reminders above the neck, and that's when we found out about those first three. But those guys just did a great job being able to handle it. The amount of changes, I, I can't even really go through. My, my head's killing me right now from all this. It's a big win for Sean McVay and the Rams. I had that as my upset special, my one game this week. I pick against the spread. We bring in Jeff Sherman, VP of Risk Management, at the Superbook at the Westgate. And, Jeff, I'm fascinated, and I think our listeners will be too, if you could tell us what it's like to be in your position and to handicap when COVID news like that hits. You have an early line. You have the line the day before, and that happens. How quick do you have to rally to change the line? It's crazy. It's been like that yesterday and today, and we just are paying attention to Twitter and updating lines in every sport every five minutes. So uh, it, things are really fluid like they were last year. So what does the sharp player like to do here in the public when they see that? Does that increase their ability to say that they have an advantage or they think they have an advantage because – You know, some guys think they're smarter than others and they see some COVID news and an outbreak and they want to make money on it and you have to adjust the lines. Yeah, because you'll get people jumping right away because they'll have a middle opportunity from they know the line will move. It just depends how much it's going to move. So the more players that are out, the more key players. I mean, take the Raiders-Browns game, for example, this Saturday. Uh, We were sitting at Browns minus six and a half yesterday. Now it's down to Browns minus three with the eight players on the COVID list for the Browns. 
So you can also explain that to our listener base that the early line, then there's a new line, and people are trying to get in the middle of it and win there, and that gets interesting here. Do you expect the handle to slow down and increase coming into Saturday morning, Friday night here? How does it play out the rest of the week? Well, you know, the last few weeks it's been down a little bit, and especially with a lot of uncertainty now with the COVID, that's what we saw last year, where people would try to wait closer to game time unless they got this information they could jump on it. But without it, and once the number settles, a lot of people are leery and they don't want to get involved until they're really more clear about who's playing and not. Jeff Sherman joins us. Follow him at golf odds let's talk about the big game i think it's one of the biggest games of the year thursday night chargers hosting kansas city right at three it's been at three the entire time tell me what you're seeing in this game line opened up 49 and a half you have the total at 51 and a half here kansas city has been on this great winning streak but they're winning ugly and the chargers are just coming off an explosive performance in their last win yeah, on Sunday we opened this Chiefs minus three and saw some sharp play lay the three. Got as high as Chiefs four, and that was due to some COVID issues on the Chargers side. And now we see Chris Jones on the Chiefs side with COVID, and now that line has come back down. And that's the one thing with the COVID. Anytime one or two players get named with it, there's always anticipation that there might be some more just because of the contact tracing. So we saw the reaction come back from the Chargers. Now we're back where we opened it at Chiefs minus three. Tell me about the line move from New England, minus 2.5, now to Indianapolis, minus 2.5. Total on the game, 45.5. It really feels like a must-win game. The way I looked at a few games this year, Niners had that game against the Rams in Santa Clara. They won it. I felt that way with the Rams on Monday night where they had to win that game. And now I'm looking at Indianapolis here. This feels like a playoff game. If they win this, if they lose this game, the path for them to even get the seventh seed is very difficult, and obviously New England eventually is going to lose again. And that's how the Sharps are looking at it. We've seen yeah. nothing but sharp play on this, and it's been driving the Colts side all the way up to Colts minus two and a half now. And we saw a similar movement last week in Baltimore at Cleveland where it opened less and ended up closing three. So uh, I don't know if this one will quite hit three because the Patriots are so public right now, but the Sharps definitely short of three are on the Colts side. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Superbook at the Westgate, VP of Risk Management. So we've been talking throughout these last couple of appearances about Buffalo, the team I predicted to go to the Super Bowl, and now they're fighting for their lives just for a wild card. Talk about your liability with Buffalo, the public that was on Buffalo all year. I think Sharps looked at them, and they're looking at them differently now. Their schedule's still tough. they still got the Patriots coming up here. I don't think they can win the division. But, Jeff, if they get in, they remind me of one of those wild-card teams that can run the table and get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they're an interesting case right now because they had a tough comeback that they just missed on last week against Tampa. Now they're playing at home against Carolina, and Josh Allen is a little bit banged up, so there's some uncertainty whether he's going to play. We think he will. We're holding the line at Buffalo minus 10.5. Like you said, next week they go to play at New England, and we just opened that New England minus 2 at home against Buffalo. But the Sharps have been getting involved with the Bills on the Super Bowl odds, we just had them at 18-1. to 1. We've seen some sharp play at 18 and now at 16. So at these higher prices that the Bills are at, the Sharps are getting involved. And, Jeff, finally, tell us about some of these double-digit underdogs and what, 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 how that's played out this year from your perspective, from a numbers perspective. A good, good example, Giants. Uh, Dallas is coming in. Giants catching 10.5 in this game. What's it like for you as you see these double-digit underdogs? Not that they're winning outright, but they're covering. What's the number show this year? 
Yeah, it's been crazy because through the first about seven weeks, we didn't have any underdog of seven and a half points or higher win outright. None, which is crazy at that time. But it's turned, and now you're starting to see it. Some covering, some winning outright, a little bit of mixed results there. But the one thing is at this point in the season, approaching week 15 through the end of the season, some of these games get away from the teams that are looking for draft position now. And so you see enhanced point spreads and more and more in the double digits. So uh, it's tough for the public to get involved with these teams that have just a few wins because they're looking more towards the draft than they are what they're doing on the field. What do you think of the news, the news that Vegas is getting the Super Bowl? They'll make it official Wednesday at the owners' meetings. You've been in this town a long time. What happens with this from the days of no gambling in regards to the NFL, the NFL's association with sports books, now to having a Super Bowl in Vegas? Jeff, you knew this was coming. Now that it's a reality, what are you thinking over at the Westgate? Yeah, I mean, it's the pinnacle for this town, and – you know, not overall nationwide. I don't think it's going to be much different there, but in Nevada, it'll be our highest handled Super Bowl. I mean, think of the people that just want to come to town, be involved with the energy and all the props we're going to offer. And the town is going to be crazy. So it's going to drive what we do at the betting window. And it's going to be the most that we've ever written on a game in Nevada. Jeff, finally, any movement on the future odds for the NBA finals, anyone there future to win there with especially the Warriors and the Clippers, who have been playing a little bit better lately. Well, the Clippers, I'm still very leery of Kawhi Leonard coming back at all this year, mm-hmm. so I've raised them up to 40-1. to 1. Now there's some chatter about Kyrie Irving maybe softening his stance uh, and potentially playing later this year, so I knocked them from 4-1 to 1 down to 7-2 to 2 on the Nets. Other than that, the Warriors have been holding strong at 4-1. to 1. There hasn't been too much movement. Uh, most of the money we've been seeing, though, has been on the Lakers at 16-1, to 1, so I keep bumping them up. They keep being Lakers support, even though they're struggling in these games. You know, tough loss at Memphis last week, then they rebounded. But they've had such an easy schedule. So uh, the, the NBA futures have been pretty static recently. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always appreciate your time. And thanks for the great hookup at the Westgate for college football with my buddies a couple of weeks ago. It was absolutely incredible. I tell everybody who hears us nationally, you come to the sharpest book, the best service, the industry leader in the world over at the Westgate at the Superbook. You do a great job. Thank you. Uh, anytime. Thanks, JT. You got it, Jeff Sherman. Appreciate his time. As we talk, we're talking about COVID again, everybody. Anybody who told you COVID wasn't a big deal initially is an idiot. He's an absolute idiot when it comes to a sports perspective because now it's affecting sports and it's affecting this Raider game. It's a heavy advantage to the Raiders now, as he just mentioned here. So Raider Nation, when you hear this, this is a national story today by a vice president of a sports book as they move the line on the Raider game because of Cleveland and their COVID issue. So the line, as Jeff said, opened up Cleveland minus five. It went to Cleveland minus six, and now it's down to minus three. You get three for playing at home. So the Raiders at Cleveland is basically a pick game. And that's got to excite it. Look, we don't root for COVID. We don't root for guys to be on COVID protocol. You know me, and I know you. We don't root for that. But from a Raider perspective here, this is a big storyline. When the Raiders beat the Dallas Cowboys, there was no CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. You think that might have had a difference in the game? Yeah, I think you know the answer there. If you need money at any time, especially over the holidays, BillsHappen.com. They've been fantastic to us. They're Raider fans, and they're helping you. If your credit cards are maxed out, if you have bad credit, you can get up to 5000 cash as early as tomorrow. It is a seamless, easy process. 
Just go to BillsHappen.com. There's a lot of shenanigans in this town where people telling you they'll lend you money and it's the best thing on earth. These are my friends. These are guys I trust. They know how to run their business. BillsHappen.com, especially over the holidays if you need some extra cash.